This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk back again with you guys for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series, our show in which I'm joined usually by a fair few guests to have a chat about the current state of Arsenal, all the topics surrounding it and at the moment that of course is a lot to do with transfers. However, Edu's interview has kind of sent a few shockwaves through the fan base over the last 24 hours. Really interesting to hear some honest thoughts, some abrasive thoughts at times as well and especially regarding the missing uh, opportunities or rather the missed opportunities that we've had this window, but also the aims and the ambitions that this club has going forwards and where it wants to take itself. Top four Champions League qualification is, to quote Edu, a consequence of what they're looking to do, which I quite like. But I'm going to get the thoughts of my guests this evening. So let's introduce you to them. First of all, it's Harry Simeon. How are you doing, mate? You good, Joel? All good, mate. All good. Can't complain. How are you? Yeah, not bad indeed. Not bad at all. Weather is, is I mean, it's uh, merciful now. It's not the uh, the temperatures that we had. I mean, even you were saying it was too hot, which is yeah. saying something. The first <laughs> couple of days, I was like, bring it on. I love this. Why are, every, why are people complaining about it? It's beautiful. But then after, after you have a few nights of rubbish sleep and a few nights of feeling uncomfortable, you start to want it to go away. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, we we moan about the weather way too much, but a man that never has to, uh, of course, is our next guest this evening. It's Dr. Raj Prabhra. How are you doing, mate? You good, Joel? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, like I said, no weather complaints over here. So, mm, Indeed. Ah, how about indeed. yourself? How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Very good. Uh, long day working, but uh, it's it's interesting to start covering uh, what we're going to talk about actually a lot today, which of course yep. is the fallout from that interview. And uh, welcome to everybody joining us in the chat box. We will shortly uh, be joined by FK. I'm reliably informed that rush hour has hit his arrival time, but he will endeavour to join us uh, throughout today's show. So if you've tuned in going, where the hell is FK? He should be here very soon. In you sold us a dream, Tom. You sold us a dream. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. The man from Latte Firm. He needs his coffee. Get him back on time early. Um, but we will see him soon, I'm sure. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody joining us in the chat box today. Thank you so much for doing so. If you could drop a like on the video and subscribe and also Make sure you're subscribed to the Chronicles of Aguna, uh, which Harry, of course, presents, and 3CB Performance, which you can find the links to both channels in the description for today's video. Uh, Raj, I'm going to start with you, my friend. Um, Edu obviously spoke very honestly and openly. Now, to provide the context for kind of what we're going to talk about today, as a fan, how do you take these interviews? Because I think this is something that isn't overly talked about. We go into the analytics and the specific words that are spoken. But there's sometimes a bit of apathy around the club when they speak to fans and, you know, a little bit of dismissal from some sections, I suppose, of the fan base that are like, well, you know, they're speaking to the media. They're going to say certain things. But how do you approach these conversations when you listen to them? Well, I think two for one. I was and generally I, I quite enjoyed the interview. I think it gave a lot of insight into the, the process that they've been looking at. And I think in this case, what I, I like to look at is whether it's been consistent with what they've been saying all along. And, and it, it has been consistent. He just gave more kind of detail on really the scope and what they looked at. And that's what I really appreciated in this interview from them. And I, like you said, I think often it's overlooked. I know the word PR has been thrown around too often, but um, I think it, it made sense because everything he said has aligned with the club's actions over the past few years. And so I, I really, really enjoyed the detailed level of it. And I enjoyed um just how unabashed uh, you know he was very not i don't like the word abrasive but he was just he was matter of fact and honest about where the club was where they are and where they want to go and i think that's what you need right like the old one of my favorite sayings is the breaking bad saying no half measures and that's exactly what they've done they've came in Mm. and they tried to really uh, 
mold the team in a certain way. And, you know, he gave a lot more depth and insight into that. So I, I appreciated that honesty. And I think they're at the time now where he can do that because you're seeing the ship having turned around and starting to really go where they wanted to go. So the timing makes sense in that regard. So that timing part might be PR, but the words itself, I think, are are definitely ring true because he's been consistent. Mikel has been consistent with what they want and, and they've delivered it. I mean, there's still obviously a lot of work in progress, mm. but they've laid the foundations here as well. Harry, what do you make of that? Because, you know, as I mentioned in, in the original question, there is sometimes this PR spin kind of rhetoric that's, that's thrown around a lot. Edu is not going to answer things in certain ways. You know, he's not going to turn around and go say, you know, last season was rubbish or 2019-20 or 2020-21 was, was terrible. You know, they're going to focus on the positives because that's what they do and, and look to build upon that. They'll accept their failures, they'll accept mistakes and they'll try and turn things around. But, you know, I, I do feel that... The, the club is maybe from my perspective deserving of a, a little bit of slack in regards to the communication because it's something that they have tried desperately to improve upon in, in the last five years in particular. Yeah, I think going back to what Raj said, which I think was spot on, was that if it wasn't consistent to what we'd been hearing over the last couple of seasons, I think then you have every right to question it and perhaps, you know, highlight it and, and maybe label it as as PR spin and all of that stuff. But I think when it is consistent, then you have to kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. And I think it has been very, very consistent. I think that Arsenal have been better at communicating with the fans and Edu's played a massive part in this. I've got to be honest, I don't think that that would be the case if it wasn't Edu in the technical director role. If it was somebody who's a little bit more of a closed book, somebody without the personality that Edu has, then perhaps we'd know much less and we wouldn't feel as comfortable taking their word as as kind of gospel. But I do get the impression with Edu that he recognises and understands and realises the importance of giving fans something, not everything. You can't, as a football club, give them everything. You can't tell us every single thing you're doing, the details of every single process going on, every transfer dealing. You can't do that. You have to keep things mm -hmm. under wraps um, when that's the right thing to do. But like, for example, in the interview today where he talks about when the process began, for example, you know, he does refer back to old stuff and the dust has settled now and you can talk about that stuff and shine some light on it and offer some clarity now that the, the time has passed. So I think that, yeah, there is an element of PR to it. There is an element of Arsenal doing this and Edu doing this because he knows for the most part it's going to go down well. But that's part and parcel of running not just a football club, but any big business, any elite business has to do that. And I think that he's right to do it. I think the way he's done it is refreshing. It's engaging. It's encouraging. And I'm all for it. Again, tell us what you can tell us and we'll be on board. I think he says right at the start of the interview, the most important part for me is that in order to judge something, in order to, uh, you know, reflect on something, you need to understand it in the first place. And without these interviews, without this communication, then you can't blame us for not understanding. But it is there now. And so I think now as fans, we have to take it on board, understand it and hold him accountable to the things he says. Because we did that last mm. season and ultimately most of it came to fruition. So let's give him the trust again. Indeed. Um, let's talk about the actual content, you know, within the interview. Uh, we'll start off with uh, the openness about the Rafinha situation. This is... I'm trying to think back to how to a, a moment where the Arsenal ownership, the executives, the manager were as open about missing a transfer target as Edu was in this moment, Raj. Because, you know, speaking specifically on the player, uh, he says, uh, I have a very good relationship with agents and players because it's part of my role. But when I start to talk to them, they explain to me as well, not only some ideas about Arsenal, but other clubs too. I say, be transparent to me because I can help you. What possibilities do you have? What do you want to do? I can give you information as well, but give me a little bit. For example, Rafinha was clear and Deco is my close friend. He wants to go to Barcelona. That is his dream. So I said, thank you very much. And, and you know, we, we moved on and we didn't go into any kind of bidding wars with Chelsea or Barcelona because Barcelona was where he was always going to go. But what do you make of them being so open about the process behind missing out on what was one of our priority transfer targets? It, to me, it shows a sense of professionalism where it's not personal, where things aren't personal. If someone says no to you, it's not a, it's not a personal thing players like any other human have preferences they want to go certain places you understand that and so in this case with Rafinha that's his dream 
you don't want to get in the way of that. It's not a personal thing to Arsenal, right? It's just that's how humans work. And I think I really appreciate that because it shows that they're not allowing some of those personal feelings to get in the way of their value of their valuations of players. And I think we've seen that with Rafinha. We've seen it with Lissandro too, where you know we have a certain number that's based on evidence. If you don't want to come, fair enough, we move on. I think that's a great process to have. And I think him talking about, uh, Edu talking about some of those things speaks to that just different level of understanding of players and understanding that, you know, everyone, like you said, has certain priorities and mm. just be, just be, I think in the end, what they appreciate, like you said, in the quote says is them just transparency, being open and honest, right? Tell us what you want. We'll tell you what we want. If it happens, great. If it doesn't, we move on. And then that's all there is to it. Indeed. Uh, I'm very, very happy uh, to say that our third panellist of the evening has survived the traffic and he's made it back. How you doing, FK? You good? <sighs> Mate, I'm good. Sorry, guys, for being late. Uh, the North that's Circular no is a killer at this time of day. It is, I can vouch for that. It is. I've been stuck on there many a times. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it, as they say, better late than never. And uh, and we're very honoured to have you on the show, mate. How are you doing? Other than the traffic, are you all good? Yeah, mate, I'm good. I was watching it while I was driving, you know, to talk about the heat and talk about Edo's interview. So, yeah, mate, I'm glad the temperature's a little bit, little bit milder. I love what Arsenal are doing in the window. And, yeah, I've been, I've been good, mate. It's my last week at work, so beginning to wind down and focus on the summer. Yeah, you've been watching. So you would have heard me say, ask the boys about kind of their feelings around the apathy sometimes that's uh, around the club being communicative and maybe the the suspicion. You know, I'm thinking back to, I don't know if you know, the Futurama gif of Fry, you know, when his eyes just get very close together because he's being suspicious. That's how sometimes I feel about when the club put out a PR and certainly the cl- uh, a lot of the fan base do as well. What have you made just to get your thoughts on on how open Edu has been about everything so far? I like it. Um, you know, I had my reservations at first about Edu. I thought, you know, are Arsenal just sort of ticking a box here? Former invincible, great player, loyal servant to the club. If we just, you know, brought him in just to kind of like keep the fans happy. But I like what he said recently. I watched the Sky Sports interview this afternoon. I'm sure many, many of your viewers have tuned into to that. And I, I think his words are clear. I think they're they're deliberate. I think he's absolutely sort of focused on what he's got to do. And there's a sense of unity. I mean, there was I like the phrase that he said, you know, this is not a Mikel Arteta signing. It's not an Edu signing. It's an Arsenal signing. And there seems to be a strategy, a clear plan. And I love it. And look, there's going to be fans that, that don't agree. They're going to be like he's saying all the right things and he's be, you know playing a good PR game. But I think he comes across as really sincere, Tom. Um and, you know, if we cast our minds back to what, year 18 months, whatever it was, you know, European Super League, the Cronkies haven't looked good coming out of that. But all of a sudden now, like the noises that we're hearing are really positive. Arteta's clear with his words. Edu's clear with his words. Josh Cronkies there wearing the Arsenal black sort of training top. He's there in all the training in, in the sort of photos. And there's it's deliberate. And I we like wouldn't it. want to wear that. But FK, if oh, mate, real, it looks sensational. It. it looks sensational. Um <laughs> But no, honestly, like just to kind of close on that, I think it's it's we're in a really good place, and it's much better than it was three years ago, five years ago, seven years ago. There seems to be more transparency. We seem to be really sort of joined up, and you know what, the all or nothing stuff as well has probably propelled that a little bit, just because the cameras are going to capture so much stuff. I can't wait to see some of that stuff. So mm. yeah, I'm all for it. And the more they engage with us, the better. The more interviews we have, the more FaceTime Arteta and Edu have with the fans. I'm all, I'm, uh, yeah, love it, mate. Yeah, I mean, obviously everyone has kind of polarizing views on on a lot of Arsenal media, in, in particular AFTV has divided a lot of people. But seeing just seeing Lee Judges interact with, with Edu, you know, that that kind of was a bit of a breaking ground moment from a youtuber perspective i say youtuber the most like weird saying ever but of course we all do produce plenty of content across it it was just it was to me strange seeing that moment and it was great to see those walls kind of broken down in a way between kind of the more social youtubing community and the club executives as we saw you know lee was cheeky and asking about transfers and you're only going to get one answer from edu in that moment but i thought that in itself no matter what your views are on on the individuals on the platforms or whatever's involved with things that in itself i think showed that willingness to be more open and community with fans uh, and that I think is is only a good thing going back into the content of the interview Harry 
uh, on what he spoke about regarding, you know, uh, the Dortmund thing has taken quite a stir online. I think that's the big kind of headline that a lot of people have looked to is that we spoke to a player. We don't know who that is. I wrote a piece about the players that we've been linked with from Dortmund in the last three years. Uh, They total Julian Brandt, Dan Axel Zagadou, uh, Manuel Akanji and Torgan Hazard have all been linked from Dortmund in the last three years. We don't know who it is. It's interesting that some uh, Dortmund fans online have seemed to feel that Akanji fits the profile more having struggled to agree a new deal with Dortmund due to potentially allegedly financial issues. But what did you make of him talking about that? You know, clearly Arsenal will only go into discussions with a player if the numbers, if the scouting, if every preparation possible matches their expectation. So clearly whoever they were talking to was of a a quality and of a level that they felt was going to progress them forwards. And despite all of that evidence and all of that backing, all it took was a player to have one characteristic issue that didn't fall in line with what they are after. And that was enough for them and Edu in particular to say, no, sorry, don't matter how good you are, we're going to go elsewhere. What did you make of it? I personally am not reading too much into the Dortmund thing, like as in that specific example, mm-hmm. because I think that that would have been the case with a number of, of players. Of that oh, oh yeah. It doesn't to. matter who it was. Yeah. 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 And, and I yeah. think that what Edu was doing there was trying to demonstrate the fact that we have just as much control when going into the transfer market as, you know, the players that we're potentially trying to sign. He's he's trying to demonstrate the fact that Arsenal have been in positions where they could have got a deal over the line and actually felt that it wasn't the right thing. And so demonstrated their power in saying, no, actually, we don't think this is the right fit. He's trying to re-emphasize the point that it is about character. It is about so many other factors outside of your raw footballing ability as to whether or not you're a right player to bring into this project. So I thought it was it was good. I, I thought it was good that he gave that example. Um, maybe he shouldn't have said Dortmund because of the um, <laughs> yeah, because of yeah. what follows after that. But mm. I think that's what you get from Edu. He's an open character. And, and just circling back to what you were saying about him kind of interacting with AFTV, he won't like some of the comments that are made about him. He won't like some of the stuff that is said about the football club and, and various other people employed by the football club. And it's and I don't even think that it's that he wants to interact with them. I think he knows that it has to be that way. He mm. understands that the landscape in terms of fan media has dramatically changed over the last five, six years. And you need to, to a degree, appease that audience as well if you want to keep everybody on side. And I think he's, again, I don't think he, he wants to spend time talking to every single person, but I think Edu is someone who understands the value of having those relationships and what it can do in terms of reducing some of the heat towards the club in the difficult moments. Yeah, indeed. No, well answered. I think that in particular, the you know it is important not to read too much into who the player might have been. Uh, yeah. That is always going to be discussed. It's worth discussing because it's an interesting thing that we've gone you know into a Dortmund-based player. Like we can't even confirm it's Borussia Dortmund. You know, he just went to Dortmund. <laughs> yeah, so, he went to Dortmund. Yeah, just it, quickly it could be as well, Tom. Yeah, of course. Um, sorry, just quickly as well with the whole like. The, the the thing where he spoke to Lee Judge, like we're both great friends with Lee Judge, mm. right? We do loads and loads of shows of him. Lee Judges, I'm sure, won't mind me saying this. I'm I'm pretty sure that he will now think twice about slagging off Edu because he's got that, he's seen the human side to him now. And naturally, when you you have that interaction and you understand someone a bit more, then you do think twice about going off a handle about them. So Lee won't mind me saying that, but I'm sure that'll be the case with Lee. I think he'll give Edu a bit more slack as a consequence of that. So that shows that that move was a good one. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Obviously, you know, we've all, uh, to an extent, been critical of of some of the things at the club. And when you're in that moment and you are face-to-face with the people that you've been so critical of behind a screen, behind a keyboard... You know, it is very different. Uh, and I think just it's human nature to act differently in those moments sometimes. And it will affect how you speak, how you act, what questions you asked for, I would say, 99% of people. Um, it's it's something that obviously I think it's important to have those discussions to ask certain questions, but at the same time to maintain that respectfulness and professionalism, as I think Lee did in those moments, because you want to maintain that relationship. You know, if you go in all guns blazing and asking certain questions that are a little bit uncomfortable in certain ways it's it might not work out best for a relationship that you could potentially get some really good insight later on down the line let's let's continue onwards and talk about um the idea of of the troubles of selling players raj because that this summer is a, of a huge challenge to arsenal we've got a lot of surplus players at the club the burnt leno scenario to me is one of the most intriguing because i think the you can 
actually kind of assess the entire confliction and contradiction of Arsenal's selling problems in one transfer. Burton Leno has one year left on his contract, which is something that so many Arsenal players get down to in the last few years, as we know. He's a player whose value has diminished because of a lack of minutes, because someone else has either come into his position or you know he's just chosen not to start over someone else's in the case with Leno. He is being given offers and clubs are coming in for him at certain levels that is below the valuation of what Arsenal initially would consider him at. And Edu is faced with this catch-22 scenario of going, I've got to improve the reputation of Arsenal in terms of being a selling club so that teams don't exploit that weakness. But at the same time, I've got a player here who's on one year remaining on his deal. And also, I've got to try and assess whether or not the team that are trying to buy him will just walk away because there are other targets. And I've got to get money for him because if we get to the end of the window and he's not gone, I could lose him for nothing in a year's time and probably would do. So... When he talked about the troubles that Arsenal face and the challenges that Arsenal face in trying to sell, have you grown in any way sympathetic towards our struggles in selling? Or do you feel still feel that there is genuine criticisms to be had of what Arsenal could and should have perhaps done in this area of the market? I think it's twofold. <clears throat> I'm, I'm sympathetic in, in some ways in that they inherited a, a roster that had certainly significant amount of bad contracts with players who are not looked upon favorably. And it becomes hard to move off those players. We've seen that in spades with this team. We've seen that with the roster turnover as well. On the other side of the coin, they did have chances to sell off, you know, uh, Maitland Niles and they didn't do so. Right. So there's also chances like that as well. I think in Leno's case, excuse me, I think that deal is going to happen. It's just a matter now of, negotiating and getting the number to a, a point that they feel correct. Same thing with Bellerin as well. I think rejected a four, four million offer for him initially. So right now to me, that sounds like negotiating process, but I think to me, what I really liked about, well, right, I, the insight from Edu about how you kind of have to grow these players from a younger profile and, and increase their valuation and have that system in place which isn't one that Arsenal really had in place or not. They didn't focus on, which they are now, to me, was really interesting. Whereas they were dealing with some of these players, like you said, after 26 multiples years left on their contract, diminishing value, aka Burn Leno. And how do you find, you know, how do you walk that tightrope? Of course, you want to get money back, but of course you want to get off certain players, right? And mm-hmm. so it becomes a really interesting navigation of course no process is going to be perfect in that regard and they've certainly had misses like i talked about so i I, i'm sympathetic in understanding that it's it's a difficult market also the other thing is post-covid has been a completely different seller's market as well in terms of overall interest in players and it's not just something specific to arsenal it's throughout all the, the big six and so um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a different market that you have to navigate now as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's often something that's like, um, because the pandemic hit every club, it's something that I think is sometimes misrepresented of going, well, it affected everyone. So, you know, we, everyone should be treated the same. But it's, it doesn't for me. You know, it, it the, the pandemic had different impacts on different clubs, depending on their situation, depending on the roster of players that they had, depending on the wage bill that they had at the time, depending on what their spending structure was at the time, depending, you know, on, on what competitions they were or were not in. It affected everybody differently. And whilst Arsenal aren't, you know, aren't struggling financially at this moment in time and during the pandemic, I don't think they were particularly in comparison to say, a lot of other clubs, despite reacting and the loan coming out and all of that stuff as loads of other top clubs did I think that because as you said there the roster of players in particular that we still had left over from a regime that Arteta wants to move on from that has affected us the most of all for me this is the last summer where that I don't, I don't like using the word excuse because as me and Harry talk about a lot, these are often genuine reasons uh, as to why things happen. But for me, this is the last summer that that can be used as a reason to kind of defend the management because this summer, three summers you know, of Arteta should be used to really finalise at this stage his ultimate squads before he, his, his first ultimate squad before he moves on to trying to build on from where we are as a foundation. The last topic before I go and talk about the the main headline act being the ambition that the club has, uh, FK, is the idea around when he spoke of Mikel Arteta's contract and the decision around Arteta's contract. 
for me, his answer actually changed my perception and mind about how I felt at the time of its renewal. For me, I kind of was tempted to wait because it was early. Whilst I was fine with the timing of the renewal when they announced it, and because it was kind of always going to happen, it was a, you know it was a, mo- it was a a matter of time until it was announced but I didn't mind it being announced early on before the season finished because I thought it may have taken away a distraction and given the team a bit of a boost to know that but there was always part of me that goes if we don't get Champions League then we have obviously missed out on what was a really good opportunity and perhaps I do need another season to assess things before I make my own choice about whether or not I think he is the right guy to lead us into the long-term future but at the same time listening to what Edu said he explained kind of very clearly that the benefits of extending Arteta when we did and the impact that that would have on the window and on convincing players like we've now seen with Jesus and Zinchenko in particular to join, it's been hugely beneficial. And so from my perspective, it has changed based upon that Edu's answer. But I'm interested to know where your head was at the time of the renewal and obviously how you feel about what Edu said in regard to it. That's a great question, Tom. I I think at the time of renewal, I kind of had an inkling that we would go with Arteta. Look, Arsenal don't make rash decisions. You know, it has to be really toxic, really bad, irreconcilable differences between the fan base and the manager and the way that the club is going for them to really part company. And I don't think we were quite near that. And if you remember... I think the Arsenal faithful going to grounds, going to games were very much behind Mikel. And that is almost like the acid test for a manager. You know, when you've got the support of your match going faithful, that often says a lot. Um, Timing for me, you know, it was going to happen. I I think with that in mind, Arsenal were always going to extend Arteta. And I think, yeah, you're right. It sends a bit of a statement to players that might be joining the club, players that might be considering their futures within the club. You know, we've got some contracts that we have to get sorted over the next few weeks, few months. Um, And, you know, even though we're Arsenal, even though we're London, even though we have a a big pool and, you know, we're going to be here tomorrow, even if Arteta wasn't, I think players like to know who's going to be in charge and who's going to be sort of, you know, steering the ship. So um, I was, yeah, I was, I, I sort of sort of saw it coming. And um, I, I have to say, I was quite pleased because I, I like Arteta and I really want him to be successful. And mm. there is a lot of sentimental value there because I loved him as a player. I think with Edu's comments, again, just going back to my points, like he's, it's clear, it's deliberate. That is very much part of the strategy. They seem to be working very well together. They have a nice relationship, it looks like, from the outside looking in. Um, and so there's nothing really more that I can sort of add to that. But I think it was the right decision by the club. I think um, Arteta is very much here for the long term. And, you know, football is not binary. It's not about like, you know, the results going in the right direction. Yes, and fantastic. Everything's working out really well. We knew that Arteta had, came into uh, an environment, into a culture, adopted a squad that had its difficulties. And mm. it's not just about results. Certainly, in the transition phase, you know, he had to clear out a lot of the deadwood. He had to get rid of one, you know, one or two toxic personalities. When your club captain is breaking rules repeatedly, you know, he's your talisman, your best paid player. You have to do something about it. And as much as some of us adore Aubameyang, it was the right thing to do. But doing that's not easy. It takes, you know, it's a, it's a brave decision. Mm. Um, and he's made those decisions. And now we can, you know, we can see like the positive vibes in the squad the way everyone's so united, the caliber of player, the profile of player that we're going for in the market. I'm really excited about it. So I think it was very much the right thing to do. Yeah, uh, I I do too. And I think that, you know, that though explanation around it and then seeing genuine evidence of two players that he's worked with that he would have have had such kind of a holdover in negotiation coming into the club is is just tangible evidence off the back of it which is something that I think in the past maybe a lot of words from the club haven't necessarily come with the evidence to back it but now we have seen here in this example in particular you know that tangible evidence indeed we're going to move on uh, to the second half of the show which is focusing on the ambition you know he did an interview not just with the journalist but also spoke to haters and Sky and in the particular the interview with Sky, he started to be asked about Champions League as kind of the ambition, as Arsenal being always attached to this label of have to get into the top four. That's always what's talked about. Before we do, though, uh, I do want to address a couple of things from the chat box. Uh, 939, thank you so much for the kind donation. Uh, he says, you guys left me with no choice but to donate. Harry, Tom and FK, of course, from Latte Firm. Dream Team Business, keep up the good work, lads. A big fan, clearly, of all of your work, guys. So fantastic to see this. I love this comment as well from Drew. It's like, great to see uh, Raj in the flesh. Hope you're doing great, mate. Huge fan of your insights on Twitter as well. You can follow 
uh, Raj on Twitter at 3CB Performance as well. And uh, Tessie says, this gets a like just for having FK. Latte at the ready, indeed. I love that. Uh, we're going to be tackling your comments in the third section of the show in 15 or so minutes' time. So make sure you start to get those questions in. I'm going to start saving them and tallying them up, uh, and we're going to tackle them as much as possible. Um, yeah, so that let me read you, Harry, the quote uh, to kick off this discussion around ambition, just to get everybody in kind of the same context. He says, uh, when he was asked about Champions League, he says, here, when he points to his head, we have to, in my mind, win things. That's the most important thing for us. I think we have in our mind, we have to win and win. And the Champions League is a consequence to something, but I like to think a little bit bigger. It's a short quote, but I think it actually generates the most discussion out of everything from the interview. Because after so long, Arsenal have been having this stigma of Champions League qualification is what Arsenal have to do. And I think that most of us would agree that the next step for Arsenal is, of course, getting back into the Champions League. But that is often used as a bit of a stick to beat Arsenal with because that's always kind of perceived to be as what the end game is of the club when we know, and hopefully they know from what we're hearing from Edu, it certainly isn't, that it's not. So what do you make of hearing Edu for... It shouldn't have been one of the first times to hear this thing said. And I suppose it's more that it hasn't... Rather than it not being the ambition, it's just not something that they've said outwardly that the ambition is is well ahead of, of just Champions League qualification. Well, I think this is this is one where in Edu's position you've got to be quite careful. I think you want to put the message out that you know you're you're ambitious and you want to go as far as possible. If you read the quotes on the athletic, he goes into a little bit more detail and he says, But I'm I'm realistic. Like I understand that there's City and there's Liverpool, and mm. it's not just that simple. But he said this is a huge club and a great club, and we have to get back to thinking that way about winning. So he does kind of add a little bit more context to it in in the written interview, which I think is interesting because you can easily take that and go, well, Edu says that Arsenal need to be winning the title and that's what Edu wants. So if Edu doesn't succeed in that between now and his departure, then he would have failed when actually he's not saying it's a given. He's not saying it's a guarantee. He's saying that that's what we're aiming for. And that's what we should be aiming for. You know, there's no point in you know, it's not going to be, let's get in the Champions League. Okay, we've done it now. Let's put our feet up and, and sort of sit on a beach and just get on with it. Like, there's got to be that further ambition, but we need to achieve that step first of getting back into the Champions League. And then for me, the next step after that is not even going on and winning the Premier League. It's re-establishing ourselves as Champions League regulars. And then the next step is going and, and winning the biggest honour. So I still think there's a couple of steps in between getting there, but it's clear that he wants to get there. The other big question is, will the owners support that? Now, I know they'll say they will, and they'll give lip service to it. And, you know, I've got to say, I've not been as anti cronky as a lot of people in the last couple of years, because I do think since the kind of split ownership issue went away or was resolved, I do think that they've been better. I do think they've been more proactive. They've obviously spent money. They've paid people off, which Edu's spoken about at length as well, which again is is an investment, as Edu called it, in terms of trying to get us back to where we want to be. But will they ever give us the financial backing that Edu and Arteta and everybody else needs to go to that next level? Because it's not a coincidence that Manchester City have won the league four of the last five times. You know, this Liverpool side have been superb right, under Jurgen Klopp. They've been incredible. He's done a wonderful job. But Jurgen Klopp could quite easily leave Liverpool having won just one Premier League title because he doesn't have the investment that Manchester City do. So I, I there's a part of me that thinks, yes, if you operate in the right way, like Liverpool have, and if you do things well, you can close the gap. But is it sustainable once you get there to remain there? And I think that bit falls on the owners. If Arsenal keep doing what they're doing and show us that they're moving in the right direction, there will come a point, a crossroads point, where we'll have to look at the owners and go, OK, are you now going to pump in the money that we need to go that extra mile? So I believe that that's what Edu wants and I'm fully on board with Edu. I think he's doing a great job. But there is that part in the back of my mind that always thinks, can we ever get there and sustain mm. it without the ownership changing either in terms of it being someone else or them changing their approach in terms of how they invest. Raj, Harry's kind of broken down the, the the context and the realism and the expectation around what we can expect from Arsenal and what we should really be, be looking at. But looking at it from a fan perspective, to play devil's advocate for a second, is has Edu, with these comments about ambition being greater than that of the Champions League, 
accidentally, inadvertently, whatever word you want to use, given a bit of a rod for his own back and a little bit of a sword to fall on, if you like, um, if Arsenal don't even get into Champions League qualification next season? Does this add pressure? Does this add expectation? Or is the reality that most of us, all of us nearly, you know, want Arsenal to get back to the level of competing for titles and winning titles and winning the biggest honours and seeing the Arsenals of, you know, the the, the early noughties, late nineties and, and, and the years going back through our history that made the club what it is today. Is it that that expectation is is always going to be there? Or do you think what Edu has said now has, has added that pressure even more greatly? Yeah, I don't think it really adds any pressure. I think that was the expectation for all the fans who have been, especially following this team and following this rebuild. He, I mean, uh, he said from the start, 22-23 would be the season. And that was two or three years ago he said this, where he said that would be the season where the club is really getting back to competing. So that's pressure from two or three years ago already. Now he's in a better place to say it. And he's just, I think he's really just repeating that same ambition and, the, the part that I really liked about it was the fact that then you mentioned it, it's a consequence and they've always talked about just focusing on the process and the results are a byproduct of that. And they've been extremely consistent with that messaging and they've done it throughout. And Mikel says the same thing, you know, focus on what you can control, focus on the work you put in and the rest that comes out of it, um, you know, will be the byproduct will be the result of that. And so I think the pressure of that kind of comment that's already pressure that they probably feel internally more than anything. These guys are competitors themselves. They want to see the club get back to the top. You know, if, if we think, if you think we have ambition, like, you know, we have a certain expectation, imagine how they feel what their own expectation is. Right. And so that might be even higher than what we have, but I like the way that he's doing it in terms of still being realistic and not, you know, pie in the sky. Every club's going to have long-term goals that they have, but you also have short and medium-term goals. So you have to have a plan to get there. And I think that's what he's really speaking to, that aspect of taking steps to get back to where you want to go. You want to have a goal in mind, of course, but there are still steps you have to take to get back there in that regard. And I think to Harry's point, that's going to require, of course, some investment from KSC. Um, I think... When I look at KSC, I look at, um, I actually wrote a piece for Squawka on this. I look at their previous investment into their franchises their, and, and mostly in the States, LA, mm-hmm. I mean, LA Rams, Colorado Avalanche, Denver Nuggets, even their lacrosse team. Once they found a young management and manager that they trusted, they went in heavy with all those teams. And so, you know, the Rams won the Super Bowl, Avalanche just won um, the Stanley Cup. Um, Nuggets have been competing and they have had some injuries, but that's been the pattern to me. But we'll see if that, of course, you know, pattern doesn't guarantee anything, but we'll see if, if that maintains here. Um, the other aspect is if I think if, if, if we're setting city as the level of investment we need, we're never going to get to that level. I mean, that's just, I don't think that's, I don't know. Do you, do you interesting, it's interesting you say that, Raj, because like when you consider the fact that Arsenal spent more last summer than any other team, and you know this summer Arsenal are on track to do similar, uh, especially if we invest any more, is it about that level of spending on a consistent basis? And you kind of expecting Arsenal, and then say, not this summer, but certainly the following summers, to level down the the amount of spending, but still level up the quality of player that we'll go for. I am. To me, this is. A tr- key transitional years where we're going to see a lot of spend. And I would expect from this season, you're going to see maybe key players come in, but we've seen how much, you know, city spends consistently big numbers when they need to, right? I don't know if we're ever going to see that level of consistent spend from any club outside of the cities, outside of the PSGs um, in, in general. So, but to Harry, I think there has to be some level of consistent spend for sure. That that's just the game these days. And Mikel has always said from the start, man, I need quality players. That's just what it is. And so that's just part of the game. Absolutely. Uh lastly, uh FK, regarding kind of ambition, for you, and more of a personal question, if you had to lay out kind of what you think the process is, not to give you an easy question at all, um, but what would you label what your expectations of what hearing from what Edu has said there of what the process is? Because it's not just it's not just this fan created ideal, the idea of this process. It's something and a word that is used a lot by the club and the people in it. So it's not something we've made up. You know, it's something that gets referenced to within in-house a hell of a lot. 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, look, the process in my mind is quite clear. We want to go from where we have been two, three years ago, which is loitering around sort of seventh, eighth, playing in the Europa League, flirting with the conference. And we want to get to the top of English football. It's as simple as that. You know, I'm not saying that Arsenal deserve to be there, are entitled to be there, but we want to be there. We want to be at Europe's top table. We want to be at the top of the Premier League. And I appreciate we are still miles off because City have, you know, through financial doping and stockpiling of top players, been able to build amazing success, as have uh, Chelsea. And of course, Liverpool with some really smart acquisitions. But of course, they were very lucky with the, the boom of television money, the sale of Suarez, Coutinho, and they've bought really well. But it, but it allowed them to buy £70 million goalkeepers and £50, £60 million midfielders. And we're, we're catching up. Um I think, look, a league title campaign is is miles off. But for me, I think Harry sort of nailed it. You know, we're not, it's not about winning the title. I think the objective has to be to finish as high as we can in the league and to win as much silverware as possible. But every year they need to look at who were champions and they look. They need to look at basically how do we reduce the gap between us and them? It's not about catching fourth. It's not about catching third. It's not about catching second. It's about looking at City and thinking, right, 99 points, 98 points, whatever it is. How are we going to get closer? How are we going to narrow that gap, which will, of course, then allow us to climb the league? And I think the the process has been clear. Clear out the ageing forces, clear out those toxic personalities, build with a youthful, youthfully exuberant sort of squad, players of a certain profile who are leaders either at their existing clubs or national teams. You know, you look at even Sambi Lukonga. The guy's not getting a game for Arsenal, but he captained Anderlecht before he came. You look at players like Cody Gakpo, who we're potentially pursuing. The guy's captaining PSV at a very young age. You know, we've got leaders all over the pitch, right? All over the, even our own our own current team. Party, captain, captain, vice-captain of Ghana. Jacka, captain of his, of his national team. Sinchenko, captain of Ukraine. I mean, there are leaders all over this pitch. And I find that really interesting, the profile of player mm. that we're going for, because collectively, there will be a hunger, a desire, a professionalism about this team. And there are also players that if things don't quite go right, then you would hope, you would think that there's going to be some sort of sell-on value for as and when that time comes. So what we're doing is very smart. What we're doing is very sensible. Um, but I think the, the process is clear. Edu's made that clear. And I think, it, I think you know, Raj touched upon it. It's about interpretation of his quotes. If people don't look behind uh, the immediate sort of headlines and they don't think about the substance, and of course, that can be misquoted and it'll be like, Edu wanted the title and, our, and Arsenal fell short. But look, we all want to win it. We all want to be there. Arteta wants to get there. But it's going to take time. It's going to take sensible build. It's going to take really good investment. I'm so happy that we're spending the money and the headlines might all be about Arsenal spending the most, but we haven't spent the most for the longest time. In fact, we spent the least for, you know, 10, 12, 15 years running and this is payback, baby. So we're slowly, (laughs) we're slowly climbing that ladder. Um, But three summers on, you know, three hefty windows on and there is more to come, I'm sure there are going to be questions asked if we don't see the progress maybe this season. So this coming season, get back into the Champions League, go on a couple of trophy runs if we can. The, my my disappointment, sorry, Tom, going on a bit here, but That's my fine. disappointment in recent seasons is the way that we've sort of thrown certain cups, you know, to to lose at Southampton two years ago in the FA Cup with a really poor team, to go out to Forest last, last season in the FA Cup. That's inexcusable to me. You know, it doesn't matter what we're doing in the league, but Arsenal have to have a squad capable of competing for trophies like that. So going far in the Europa League this year, winning it has to be our objective. But Champions League, of course, qualification. But ultimately, we want to be back at, at the top of English football. Yeah, 100%. The, the other thing I was just going to quickly add as well, the thing about like spending every summer, and you know, the last couple of summers, people keep talking about how much we've spent. We're still not at the point, though, where we'll go and spend 60, 70 million pounds on a player. And I think that that's a point that at some point, if you want to be right at the very top, you need to get to, to go and get those absolutely elite players. We're kind of banking on building them up at the moment and hoping that the collective will will see us close the gap. But I think, you know, there will come a time, hopefully, if this process is carried out properly, where we go into a summer and we need two players or three players instead of sixes and sevens, and then you can afford to invest more money. So I think that's um, I, I think that thing about Arsenal spending more than everyone the last couple of summers is a bit of a misconception when you look at how many players we've bought in for that money. Actually, it's not that big a deal. I think last yeah. summer I worked it out, and I think the average was about 26 million per player across all the players that we brought in. So it's really not 
Man City levels, even Liverpool levels this summer with, with Darwin Nunez, for example. So that's the next point that you'd hope that we'll get to. And you do, sorry, Tom, you do get to a point, Harry, where even the players that maybe aren't playing regularly get to a point where there is a premium where we can sell them on for. So, yeah. you know, you you might ha- you might come, I mean, Manchester City, great example. They've sold Sinchenko and Jesus, who've been really good players for them. And they've sold them for a lot of money, which has allowed them to go and buy other players. And we just need to get there. And and that's that's pretty much the strategy that I think we're, we're trying to adopt. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm glad you jumped in, Africa, actually, because getting, whilst you were talking, just getting up kind of the history of, of Manchester City's spending, you know, whilst 150 million in a season is our record, you know, you go back through their summers and there are summers where they've spent that, they've spent 285 million in one in one year, in one calendar year with, with the summer and January of Emmerich Laporte, Benjamin Mendy, Carl Walker, Bernardo Silva, Edison, Danilo, Douglas Luiz, all coming in, 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 you know, the space of a summer and with Laporte, the January window as well. If you look at Chelsea, you know, Chelsea spent 222 in the summer of 2020 uh, in, and through to 2021. They spent 187 in the summer of 2018. They spent 234 in the summer of 2017. Uh, Tom, to, to Ch- well. Chelsea spent £50 million pounds on Shevchenko almost 20 years ago. Mm. 20 years. It took us, you know, what, what, Pepe, 72 million, what, two, three years ago? And that's a one-off. Mm-hmm. So these clubs have been doing it for a long time and that's it's allowed Chelsea to stockpile lots of players they've got the, they've got you know 30 40 odd players on loan that they can just sell at a, at a whim City and Liverpool have been able to sell players based on the premium that their successful teams you know Ryan Brewster 25 million uh Dominic Solanke 20 odd million Michael Edwards was a genius but that comes with the premium of being a successful team so we're getting there we're getting there we just need to just be a little bit more patient I know people are really sick and tired of of hearing that but with every change in manager every change in process you have to appreciate that it's not going to happen overnight Indeed. Uh, Rahul, thank you for the donation says go the Dortmund way baby stealing your word there FK but uh you know I think that the Dortmund way is is a step slightly below of what we should be aiming at. You know, I get what you're saying with the Dortmund model, but in the Premier League and with Arsenal and the ambitions we have, I think it's a level above that that Arsenal should probably be looking to. But I think there are benefits of the Dortmund model that certainly fit in with what Arsenal are doing with, you know, investing in youth and hoping that they become something. Okay, we're going to move into the final part of today's show for the last 12 or so minutes of the episodes. uh, And we're going to take your questions from the chat box, of course. We're going to try and get through as many of these as we can, lads. So if we can keep our uh, answers as less Drew-like, if for anyone that tunes into our regular shows know how long Drew can go on with some of his answers, that would be great. Uh, And I I am happy to say that Drew should be back on the channel on Sunday, which is going to be fantastic. Um, I'm going to ask you all a slightly uh, amenable version of of this question. Paul James says, if this is a five-year plan, when do you expect to see a return on the recent investments? Now, I think that we can all agree that Arsenal have been spending to a level, despite Harry's very true theory around the average spending on each player. But it's of a level that you would expect to see the likes of City and Liverpool spend at times. And I think that if we're going to see a plan to see Arsenal get to the title challenging level, I'm kind of curious under the current regime, what season you think is a fair expectation for Arsenal to quote unquote challenge. So it's a little bit of a tricky and out there question for you, but I want a year season. So, you know, 23, 24, 24, 25, whatever you like. I'm vamping a little bit to give you a little bit of thinking time. Uh, and we're going to go in reverse order because I'm mean. Uh, and FK, we're going to go to you first. What do you think is a fair season to say that Arsenal in this season should challenge? Title challenge, I think a couple of years away. H- Harry nailed it earlier by saying, look, we need to qualify for Champions League, more revenue, more building, more scope to sign better players. But Paul James's excellent question. In terms of return on recent investment, there's no reason why we can't be picking up silverware now. So I would expect 22-23 to be that. We need to get to Wembley. We need to get to wherever the Europa League final is and be in that fight. So, yeah, a return on silverware now, but league campaign a couple of years away. Raj? Yeah, I agree. In terms of league campaign, I would think three years from now, just because of how City and Liverpool are investing as well. I mean, we've seen how Liverpool have re- revamped their front line already. City is always going to be revamping. So in terms of true title challenge, I would think to me about two or three years away in terms of, you know, ROI, I agree with FK in terms of not just winning silverware, but also it's also about champions league financially getting in there too. Right. So in terms of investment as well, that's a big one. 
I think that sets up Harry's point next summer of being able to add that one or two big signings every year. The way I see it, we're building the house right now. And, you know, we're building the foundation. You're building the first floor. Now you want to add that home theater system, right? That's what next summer is for. Absolutely. So I was a lot of distracted by a shot. Same, same. Laps, 30, 35 <laughs> prediction. Um, I love the pessimism. Harry. Yeah, I'd say a title challenge is probably at minimum still three years away for me. Um, I, I still think there's a lot of work to be done. I think FK's point about silverware is key. I think we need to get the likes of Bukayo Saka, you know, Emile Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, all those young players. I think we need to give them the experience of winning silverware because in a lot of instances that can be what spurs you on to want to achieve more, getting a taste of something can make you more hungry for it. So I think that's important. And I think, you know, yes, while I'd love to see us go out and win FA Cups and and I think the Europa League has got to be a real aim next season. I really do. I mean, we've been to the semi-final, what, three times um, in the years we've participated in it. So we've got to be looking to win that competition. Um, but I think as well, there's a, there's a balance to be found here because for me, if Arsenal were to finish third in the Premier League, let's just say, I know that's a big ask, but if they were to finish third in the Premier League, that would be, to me, a greater show of strength than winning the Europa League. Mm. And and that might not make sense because you want Arsenal to win silverware, obviously, but I think your league campaign is probably the most indicative of how good you are as a side. And I think, so what I'm trying to say is that if we do show progress in the league, but the silverware still evades us because we've lost the one-off game, you know, we've not been up for it on, on the, the occasion, then I would say that I would still not say that that's a failure because the league will give me the best indication. But obviously silverware is massive. It's about building that winning mentality. It's about getting everybody within the club to be to, to create that extra hunger to go on for more. So I agree it's really, really important, but it's not going to be the sole basis of my judgment on whether the team's moving forward or not if we continue to show progress in the league. Harry caveat simu there for you. Uh, lovely, <laughs> lovely stuff. Yeah, can I add one thing to what Harry said? You can, mate. Uh, just to tie back into you know the Edu quotes about having that killer mentality, what Harry said about when you have players who won that cup or you know they've had success, that's what can help build that killer mentality, of course, now aided by the likes of adding a Zinchenko, adding a Jesus, right? So that psychological aspect, you know, is so big. So going out and winning even, you know, these cups we've thrown away, like FK said, the FA Cup in previous years, just going out and giving them that experience, that taste for winning and giving that confidence, that mentality boost. You know, when you're in a game that's 1-1 on the road on a Monday night, which we were terrible at last season, right? These players playing with confidence. And instead of being hesitant, they're now playing on the front foot. That can decide the, over the margins of, of a season who finishes the difference between third and fourth, second and third, or, you know, in cup games. So that's massive to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um there, thank you so much, Ali, for the super chat. Uh, big up, lads. Happy with the transfer window so far, but still waiting for that big signing. I still think these comments like this, and I'm very appreciative for your donation, Ali, but I still feel like these comments sometimes are, what do people think Gabriel Jesus was not? Like, <laughs> I think he's a massive signing, like absolutely massive. Uh, I was listening to my good friend Shaheen and Lev over on the Arsenal Lounge, and Shaheen was saying how you know, he, he gave the window a five out of 10 so far. And I was like, what? Come on. What are these expectations? They're crazy. Um, let's go to FK for this question from Kyle. And thank you for the nation. He says, if we win the league this year, would it be more or less shocking than when Leicester won it, given Liverpool and City in the running in the context of where they're at? Uh, more Are we or less... 5,000 to 1, FK? Mate, I'll question. be honest with you. you know, <laughs> Leicester winning the Premier League was just ridiculous. I, I, even though City and, and, and Liverpool weren't the forces that they, they are today, for Leicester to win that league was just outrageous. And and I think that is that will always be the most ridiculous feat. Um, I mean, it'd be a shock if Arsenal won the league, of course, this season, because City and, and Liverpool are just so strong for all the reasons that we mentioned, Kyle. But... I don't think anything is ever going to pip Leicester. That year was extraordinary. I mean, it was just, everything just worked out for them. Ranieri had them playing. every Just just bonkers. I can't get over it. And I'm a little bit bitter about it, of course, because it should have been us. But 
yeah, Leicester winning that league is is just something that's never, ever going to happen again. And uh, I think that was more shocking than Arsenal winning the league this year, which would also be a shock. Indeed. Harvey, just to tackle your question quickly, uh, according to Sam Dean uh, of The Telegraph, Arsenal are very close to agreeing an 8 million fee with uh, Fulham for Bernd Leno. 8 million for a player, one year left on his contract. I think he's worth a bit more than that, but it might be to the stage where we kind of have to take what we can at the moment, um, <laughs> alluding to what we discussed, of course, earlier on in the show. Um, let's go to Raj uh, with Kasim's question. Biased hat off. Who's had the best window so far it's a pretty on the spot question um but you know we've seen Chelsea add Sterling and Koulibaly we've seen Spurs add a lot of players we've seen Chelsea try and sign players and have Barcelona laugh at them quite enjoyably um Manchester City have added Erling Haaland Leeds have added a lot of Red Bull Salzburg and Leipzig players Uh, what do you make of who has had the best window so far I mean I to me it's Barcelona considering we came into the window thinking they had no money and so now it's like, you know, it, they're like that, they're like the, the Donald Duck gift where, you know, in the money and the levers, you know, all that stuff. So to me, they've had an incredible window considering, and it really shows the power of, of their brand somewhere that, you know, I think Arsenal really want to get back to being able to leverage players. And I think we see, I mean, we've seen it with, we've seen it with certain players, but Barcelona's poll has been a little bit different. I think their, their window has been great. I have to shout out City because they got Holland for what? What's it? What was your release clause? 60? Sixty-seven, something like that. Some, yeah. yeah, I mean, and that's to me for a team who's already has all their foundations in place. You get a player like him in the position they've been missing the most at that valuation. I mean, that's just that. That's pretty incredible to me. So I'd have to go Barcelona one, just City two. I, mean, I honestly, I think Arsenal. I would put Arsenal right there at three just because of the positional players we've added and the depth we've added and the type of profile we've added. It's been so consistent. And I think we saw it in the preseason, the versatility of these guys and how they fit. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be great to watch with how Mikel wants to watch. He wants those Swiss army knife players. So I, I, I've really been enjoying that window in, in terms of the, the type of player that we've got. So. Yeah, uh, to your pace agreeing you there, saying Barcelona, a very good shout indeed with who they've managed to get. Interesting, there was a comment for West Ham as well. I mean, if they get Skamaka and Kostic, that's two very, very good signings um, for the club. Skamaka looks effectively done. Kostic pinging balls into the box for him is going to be a scary prospect next season, especially with Jared Bowen in, in the fold as well. Um, quite nicely, I'm glad you mentioned Harlem because it segues really well to Harry, uh, which is our final question from Rancid Pumpkin, who says, at which point do you expect Arsenal to go for the Harlands of this world? Which I think is a really good question because you've talked a second ago, Harry, about, you know, spreading the cost across lots of signings. But there comes a point where Arsenal will have their squads and they will then look to one or two players a summer, like City do, to then upgrade it. Well, yeah, I think that, Arsenal, if they go get another two players before the window shuts, which I don't think is going to be the case, by the way, I predicted that we'd bring in two pre-Zinchenko. So I think there'll probably be one more. But if we could get two more in, then you'd feel like we're in the place where we've pretty much got our squad together. And now it's about one or two additions each summer and making sure that they're the right additions and going to that next level in terms of what we're spending on individuals. So I don't actually think we're a million miles away from this. But it's again, it's not just about the financials here, though, is it? It's about com- convincing those players and, and being able to hold yourself up against the likes of Manchester City in terms of what you can offer them in terms of trophies and competing at the very top. And that needs to be done on the pitch. So I don't think financially we're in a, a million miles away from that. I just mm. think it's about now breathing that success on the pitch that backs up and and prompts up and supports what we can do financially. And then we can offer the whole package to be able to go out and get the likes of Haaland and other players of his like. But, you know, financially, we're not a million miles away. It's just Mm -hmm. about now going that next step on the pitch to show that or or to just further cement that the, the process is working and that we are moving forward. Indeed. Um, I think what's telling as well is that Arsenal right now are actually trying to do it already. I think we saw them try it with Dusan Vlaovic. I think we saw them try it the season before with Manuel Locatelli. You know, these are level of players that if we add them, you know, upgrade the area that they join significantly. Um, they weren't successful because they couldn't offer them what Juventus could offer them in those instances. But when Arsenal can offer that and more, and I think being a Premier League side, certainly when you get into the Champions League, you can start out competing a team like Juventus for certain players, even ones within Serie A, 
I think it's possible. Um, it's still a challenge because a lot, of, especially in Italy, because they like to stay in Italy. But uh, I think it's it's very very possible indeed. Uh, we'll finish the show with uh, a final super chat from one of our very loyal listeners, Frantisek, who says we should focus on gaining points after 38 games, not mainly on positions. We ended with 69 last season, and we all know we threw some very winnable ones, 80 to 85 points minimum. That should be our focus. I think the minimum expectation is to win the next game for us, you know, and that is Crystal Palace before or after the preseason match against Sevilla. But that Crystal Palace game is going to be huge. And I look forward to bringing you content all the way up to it, on it and after it. I'm massively thank you, uh, thankful rather, for the massive guests that we've had to come on today's show. It's been brilliant to speak to them and to get their thoughts. Harry, thank you so much for your time. Tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to. Thank you, as always, mate. You can follow me on uh, the Chronicles of Aguna, or you can just follow me on Twitter at Harry Simi, where you can see all the random things I get up to. So, yeah, thanks for having me, Tom. Always appreciate it, mate. Pleasure. Link in the description to Harry's channel, as always. Raj, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure to have a chat with you outside of the world of injuries and just about the love of Arsenal. It was a pleasure. But tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to. Yeah, it was quite nice, mate. Appreciate the invite. Um, yeah, you can find me at uh, 3CB Performance. Twitter, YouTube, you know, love the interactions. So I appreciate everyone who takes the time to do that. And last, by no means least, and certainly late, FK, thank you so much for your time um, and coming on to show and rushing back through the North Circular's legendary traffic jams. Uh, tell people what you're going to be up to and where they can find you. Uh, yeah, sorry. Th thanks again for having me, Tom. Really enjoyed Pleasure. it and sorry for being late. But yeah, you can find no me problem. on Twitter. My 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 podcast or my channel is Latte Firm. Get on there, throw abuse at me, compliment me, do whatever you need to do. <laughs> but it's I just love engaging with me. So uh, just, uh, yeah, join me on there. Absolutely. Uh, the links to everybody's channels is in the video description down below. So make sure that you are subscribed. That's the only way you can actually click off the video. So if you want to carry on with your life, you need to make sure you're subscribed to the other channels. That's how things work. I'm not lying, I promise. Um, thank you for tuning in. If you could drop a like on our video as well, would really appreciate that. I'll be back with you bright and early tomorrow morning at 8am to bring you all the latest Arsenal news and updates. Uh, I'm also hopefully planning on having a chat uh, with Dan Potts uh, tomorrow at some point as well, which should be an interesting contrast perhaps to some of the views that we've seen today but that should be really interesting also but thank you for tuning in most importantly to you listener uh, you've been great as has the live chat box if you've joined us late and i want to catch up do leave a comment down below as well we'll see you again very very soon and as always up the arsenal it's the 90 plus minute all your mates around, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.